Hi, and welcome back to The Resident Review. I'm Rosie Tillis, one of the Duke Plastic Surgery residents. And I'm Lily Mundy, one of the Duke Plastic Surgery chief residents. Yay. Thanks for joining us, Lily. Today's episode, we're going to be doing part of our Back to Basics section, which covers some of the most common topics and terminology in our field, and is meant to be really helpful for anyone starting out or wanting a basic refresher. Hey everyone, my name is Tori and I am one of the Duke interns. Hey guys, my name is Nick. I'm one of the interns here at Duke. All right, Tori, take it away. What do you think makes a medical student helpful? What do you wish you knew? What's your advice for sub eyes? I think there are some like more concrete things. And then I think there are some more abstract things. I think like what makes a medical student helpful generally is someone who's just like very excited to be there, very involved with the team, like stays up with like everything that's going on because they not only provide continuity when the team switch or when things get hectic and not everybody's in the same place, but um, it just provides someone who you can call upon if you like need something and you don't feel like you're asking them to do something big. They're like, they are ready and willing. And so then it doesn't make our job stressful if we have to ask, because we don't often like to ask people to do things that are like kind of tedious, but if you're available and willing to help, it makes our lives often a lot better than I think med students even realize. I feel like I thought a lot of the things I was doing was menial as a med student. And now that I'm an intern, it, those things make a huge difference in my day-to-day efficiency. And then I think, you know, feedback that I got as a med student that I think holds is on the flip side of that. Yes. Being ready and available and willing, but also being someone who's able to kind of find things that you can do and offering to do them sort of staying ahead of being asked to do things. Obviously if we need help, we'll ask. But if you're like, oh, I noticed that the patient didn't have this. Let me go run and get it. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even have to think about that. The person just offered. That's so helpful. I don't know when I would have had time to do that. So I think feedback that I got was that it's helpful to, rather than abstractly asking how you can help, is often try to identify ways that you can move the patient's care along or move the team forward during the day. And I think two points that Tori brought up that I'll just sort of draw attention to is first concept as humans, we don't like asking other people to have to do things for us, especially when you're an intern or a second year, and maybe you feel like a little bit uncomfortable to have to ask somebody to do something. So, but I love it when people like Tori saying, know the right things to do and know how to help out. So being specific about your asks instead of this general, like, Oh, can I do anything being like, Hey, do you want me to go get the dressing change started on so-and-so? Do you want me to go to the OR and let you know when the patient's here? Do you want me to go grab the supplies we need for this? Like being more like specific about your asks makes it much easier for someone to be happy and comfortable for you to help because you're like offering to do something specific. The other thing I think Tori brought up is this concept of situational awareness. And I think that is what can really help make a student or just junior person in the team a great member of the team. So situational awareness means you are in tune and paying attention to what's happening around you. And you're thinking about stuff that you can do that's going to be helpful for that setting. Something terrible happens. Everyone's really quiet. People are thoughtful and you're 
saying, oh, should we go get coffee or should we go do something? Like maybe that's not situational awareness. Alternatively, like if you can read the room and see what's needed, like we're changing addressing and we're, you can anticipate that we're like going to run out of something. You can like be anticipatory and, you know, oh, I, I can tell this is happening. Let me go and get that. It's also really nice to start to link things together in your head because it's easy to just kind of stand and observe and not sure how you can help. But if you start to build these automatic links, like when somebody asks for suture automatically scissors, or like maybe I'm going to put a hemostat or a mosquito on the end of that suture, it's bleeding like automatically, let me get the suction or let me get a lap pad or a Raytech. You are doing, I don't know, just kind of like linking two things, those two things together when you know the second step is whatever, like automatically build that in your brain. So it becomes more habit. I think I would just add briefly to what Lily said. I think she brings up a lot of great points um, and says them more eloquently than me. First and foremost, nobody expects you to like know how to do all this stuff on day one. As two of my resident mentors would say, learn the routine. So like nobody's going to expect you to come on day one and know the whole routine for your team. That routine will change depending on who you're working with and how they like to run the service. But as Lily pointed out, kind of like staying paying attention to those things and learning how you can be helpful. No one's going to expect you to know every right thing to do all the time. I think that was one thing that I felt really like nervous about as a sub I, when I first started that I was supposed to like know all this stuff right from the get go. That's not true, but people do expect that you'll pick these things up, you know, over time. So staying ahead of that. Yeah. I would something to add to that. Um, I agree with all those points. I think like when you're thinking about um, what makes a good sub I, a good way, I think kind of towards split it up, how it's kind of like, there are concrete things um, that we could talk more about, like the day-to-day tasks, like getting there early, staying late, things like that. And then actual things you can do with on rounds and things like that. But I think more importantly is these things like the the situational awareness, like Lily said. I think that that's something that's, you, it might not be obvious, like when you're thinking about, okay, how do I be a good sub But that is kind of what makes the difference. If someone is speaking up in a, in a time when, it's a really, a really serious situation or everyone's stressed out, that's going to stand out in a negative way more than if you kind of are just, you know, know when to speak up or when not to speak up. And something else that I, as a sub-I, I was extremely stressed out about because especially in plastic surgery, you hear about these roles that people had on their, on their sub-I's and their experiences. I always ask people above me what they did. And I heard things like, oh, I presented every patient on the entire service. I knew everything about every patient. I round, pre-rounded on every patient. And I was like, I remember my first sub week on my first sub I, I, I wasn't sure like how to work that into my schedule. And I slowly realized that the expectations at each sub I that you do are very different depending on what is expected at that program of their sub eyes. So I really like what Tori said, take some time to learn what the, what the residents, what the team was looking for in a sub I before trying to jump in and do all these extra things that you've heard from other people. Just be willing to learn about what the team needs and then try to execute that. But don't think you need to know it all on day one. Yeah. Something Tori said also, which I love, and I feel like should be the first thing, which I think is the first thing she said and should be like the first and most important thing is this is supposed to be fun. This is your time to get to do plastic surgery, which is what we all love. And when we have students that are excited and happy and like genuinely interested in learning, genuinely interested in being there that vibe is, it is contagious and it just brings like a really positive spirit when there are sub eyes and this is kind of transitioning, but like when there's 
there's often multiple sub eyes on a given rotation. Take your time to be friendly and to work well with those other sub eyes. People will, you know, maybe try to like be a gunner or like, you know, set you up for failure and make themselves look better. We can always see through that. And when you are the leader of a team and you have students that don't get along, or, you know, there's conflict between the students that just translates to stress because as a chief, I want everyone to have a good experience. I want my visiting sub eyes or my home sub eyes to one, like learn about plastic surgery, get to know our program, get to know what we have to offer, like get to work with people. And if I know there's this conflict happening and then I'm also trying to navigate that for them, it just kind of rubs poorly on everybody. And I can't tell you how far it goes to have a genuine interest and love in the specialty that just comes across. So don't hold that part back. And then also we can talk about some of the nitty gritty stuff and how to like functionally do a good job. One question that I just have on that topic is about the process of learning a service and getting the routine, especially if you're in a new place and you don't know the hospital and you don't know how their systems work and basically everything is new. How do you retain what you're seeing and observing on those first, you know, maybe one or two days that you can then anticipate after you've seen it once or twice? I write everything down. I don't know. I like always write stuff. Like I write down the phone numbers. I write down the extensions to different areas. I write down like where rooms are located, what the codes are. Cause I know like I can never really remember that stuff. And I also used to write down preferences of my faculty. So if you have a given faculty who likes to prep with something certain or likes to drape in a certain way. Now, as medical students, you're probably not super involved in the prepping and draping process, but there's other things like that. Like you might learn some little preferences about dressings, working with so-and-so in this case, they did this. Like I would just, after my cases, I always like write down what we did. So that way, if you're with them again, you can know that. And sometimes the residents switch frequently and don't always remember some of those details. And you might've been with that person already. And they, they may have, you know, they might not be in the room when you're putting a dressing on or something like that. And so you're like, oh, how does so-and-so like this? And you're like, oh, I remember I was with them before. I remember they did this. If you write down stuff for how you do cases, when you do them in one place or at one time, the next time you do it, it will just help you that much more get started. I'm a huge, huge fan of writing things down. I also would make, I use Evernote and I have one file in Evernote that's called case prep for the next day. So I have it linked on my computer and on my phone and I would cut and paste and, you know, anatomy pictures and have notes about the patient and about the steps of the surgery. And that way I had done that to prep for my case the night, night before. And I can scroll through that really quickly in between cases as a sidebar What I would say is the expectation for a medical student for a case is know the general anatomy, know the basic patient history, the indication for why we're doing that surgery, and the basic steps of the operation. You don't have to know. No one's really expectation is that you know how to do that, right? You're you're a student and then you have residency. None of us are not going to residency, right? We all need training. We all need to learn how to do it. So the expectation is never that you've known everything. It's just nice when people have shown that they've had effort, they have prepared, they have read something, they have tried to learn something and we get it. Sometimes it's really complex. And so it's hard for you to remember, but you can also ask your, the resident you're with between cases, Hey, you know, we have such and such case. Do you think we can talk about it beforehand? 
this is what I learned. This is where I'm con- confused still. This is, I just want to clarify and try to get a better sense. People love that. I would say that the, the most high yield thing I did to prepare for cases was watching videos. So if you could find like, if you're you know, doing a latissimus flap or something, if you could find a dissection of that on YouTube or any of these other websites that has that, because you know, just thinking about like a, uh, a question, like a pimp question kind of standpoint, if there's a question about identifying a structure, it's going to be seen on that video. And the person that's narrating the video is going to point it out. They're going to say, okay, first thing we're going to identify is, you know, the, this vein and okay, there it is. And you'll kind of, so, and the questions aren't random. They're usually things that uh, everyone asks because it's an important part of the procedure, an important structure. And those come up in the videos. So highly recommending watching videos to prep for your pieces. The other thing I was going to say is going off of what Lily said, I think taking notes is great. I even still now go back into my reminders and I realize I have things, OR charge number, which became very helpful when I was an intern, but things like writing down the things that the resident was signing out to pack you so that like towards the end of the rotation, I could be like, oh, I got it. And I would like write on the board, you know, I'm not going to sign the patient out necessarily to the nurse, but by the end, if you've shown like, oh, you started paying attention to what the resident is writing on the board so that you can do that so that they can focus on, you know, X, Y, Z thing they're trying to do with the patient. Then by the end, the resident might say, oh, you can present to the PACU nurse and I'll fill in where, you know, you're like, might be missing something. And that's just like showing progress, right? I didn't come in on the first day and know exactly what we did in the case or how to sign out to the PACU nurse. But by the end of the rotation, I picked up on what those important things were and tried to do one little thing that could help the resident. So it doesn't have to be something crazy, but little things like that. And I think just, you know, just ask. This is about your education. And I think one of the best things about us being able to do multiple months of sub-I, though stressful and Lauren, like you were alluding to, going to a new place is really hard. It's really stressful those first couple of days. You have no idea where the bathroom is. You don't know how to get scrubs. Your ID may or may not work. We've all been there and we all understand. So I think the best thing that you can do is just kind of take a deep breath, just try to be adaptable, try to be agreeable, know that not everything is going to go okay. And if something goes wrong, just say, I'm really sorry. I don't have access or I really don't know where I'm going. Can you show me? Or I don't know where the dressing supplies are, but I'd love to help you guys get prepared for rounds. And then people will say, oh, you can do this, or you can grab this um, and meet us here. And that sort of being, doing that from the get-go and early on gives you the information you need to then kind of move forward and do that more and more throughout the rotation. I had another question about the sub-I, specifically away sub-I's, like going to other institutions. Is there anything any of you did before your aways, like before you got there to prep or any like shared centralized information for people who've been to those institutions before, things like that? I think first and foremost, it's, it's very important to know about the program that you're going to. The faculty there, you know, obviously the program director and the chair you should know about. Um, I think something someone told me one time is it doesn't look good to show up and be, oh, this, we're not doing the case with this person tomorrow. Like, what do, what do they do a lot of? It's kind of good to have a little bit of a background. If you're going to be working with an attending, know that, oh, this is a hand surgeon and they do a lot of peripheral nerve work, or this is a, a microsurgeon, they do a lot of breast micro. You don't have to know, you know, all their background about where they went to medical school and things like that. But just having an idea and showing that you've done a little bit of research. So I think that's a good first step is just kind of knowing a lot about the program. I don't know, maybe I knew some of that before I went some places, but not everywhere. I think it's probably good to know the name of the program director and the chair and just look at the website of the faculty members, look at the names. So you've just seen it once before, but I mean, if I had a student come to me and they were, oh, could you just tell me how to pronounce that person's name? Cause I can't 
figure it out, I would be like, oh yeah, of course. Like, let me help you with that. Or like asking like, oh, what is it like to work with so-and-so that's reasonable. I don't know how you would know that. So I think generally the expectation that, you know, like so much about what you're going to do in advance is, is probably lower, but just like having the right attitude and that sort of thing is helpful. Something that Tori said that kind of stood out was when she was talking about the packing nurse stuff. So I think it's awesome to be able to observe that there are certain times, certain flow points during the day that you're the resident you might be paired working with that day is busy and there's stuff you could do to help. So, you know, at the end of the case, I'm as a resident putting in orders for that patient, either to go home or to stay. I'm trying to write their operative report, maybe not for all of your faculty, but for some. And then also we're putting dressings on, we're getting the patient, you know, maybe in a post-op garment, like a surgical bra or abdominal binder, we're transferring them to a bed, we're splinting the patient, we're like doing all these tasks. And I think I delight when a medical student is when I'm working with them and I can go and do the computer stuff because they can't write the op note, they can't put the orders and all that stuff, but they can help get the patient positioned onto the stretcher and get them transferred over and kind of help with all of that stuff. So just to give you guys a little bit of a quick rundown of just specifically what I always would tell medical students, and you guys probably know a lot of this because you've been in the OR before, but stuff that's on rounds that's helpful is having dressing supplies ready, knowing what types of dressings we're doing for certain patients. Yeah. Day one, obviously you're not going to know it, but you can, as we round, you can write stuff down. And then if we're, you know, sort of doing the same dressings over and over again, then you have a sense and you can start to like help. So anticipating helping with dressing changes, that sort of thing, you know, helping the interns with whatever sort of things that they might need help with on the floor. But then I love when as a resident or as a student, you're in the OR, when the patient's rolling in, especially as a student, sometimes as a resident, you're trying to balance other stuff, maybe seeing consults or dealing with floor work, but you know, you're in the OR to greet the patient. If your faculty and your resident are okay with it, maybe you've even met that patient in pre-op, introduced yourself to the patient. You are in the OR, you help them get from the stretcher onto the operative room, onto the operating room table. You help put the STDs on, you help get the patient positioned. You can help, you know, re move around the EKG leads. If they're in the surgical site, you can help shave um, any areas that need to be shaved for the operative site or clipped, I guess you can help with the Foley. You can do positioning. You can get stuff situated, get the lights organized, all of that kind of stuff. Then, you know, we're going to prep for myself personally. I would always have myself or one of the other residents prep some institutions, the scrub techs actually do the prepping. So, you know, whatever sort of the institutional situation is there. And then I also like to have myself or one of the other residents do the draping just because I don't want to put a student into a situation where they hadn't done this a ton before. And then maybe they mess something up on accident. And then they have all these other people getting frustrated with them where like, that's not really a necessary situation for you guys. There's not like a lot of advantage to having you do that on my, on my perspective to have you guys prep and drape. But as a sub-I, you might be doing that at some institution. So you can just learn and observe how people do it. And then sometimes draping is definitely a two-person job. And so if that's the case, then, and you know, you're, you're scrubbed in and out, then that's wonderful. And then you can start to help getting the bovi and the bipolar, the suction set up on the OR field. Then you're going to be in the case as a sub-I or a student, if you're not helping directly contribute to the operation by maybe retracting or doing portions of the operation on your own, sewing and things like that, then it's great to always be ready to get the suction, adjust the lights if the field's moving around so people can see, you know, you can have a grab a lap pad, that sort of thing. 
Then towards the end of the case, hopefully you guys are involved. You're helping to sew, do things like that. You're cutting suture if you're not sewing. And then all the things I mentioned, like at the end of the case, helping put dressings on, helping get the patient positioned into the stretcher and helping transport the patient to pack you. And I think that's like most of the operative stuff. Then like the other things are stuff that you guys are going to help out with on the, you know, helping the interns maybe, or the, the team members do wound back changes or helping people see consults or that kind of thing. I don't know, Nick and Tori, if you guys have other things to add to that. I would agree. I would say one thing that when you're in the, in the operating room, I feel like at the, at the end of the case, kind of like any time in our, in our day, when we don't have our phone on us for a long time, you kind of reflexively go to your phone. You haven't checked it for a long time. I think as a student, as a sub eye, and even as, as an intern, I try to do the same thing. Like just pretend like your, your cell phone does not exist in the operating room. Like you need to, when, when we're in the OR, we should be focusing on the patient. We're working on, like Lily said, okay, now the case is over. Let's get them to the bed. Let's get them ready to go to pack you. Even if you're, you know, looking up something, I think it could be perceived negatively if you're, if you're kind of checking your phone after the case. And like I said, I know it's a reflex, like we all, we all do it, but it's just something to keep in mind, just even being aware, even if it seems like there might not be a ton going on. I think Lily covered kind of top to bottom, all the things you guys can help with in the OR. And I think the only thing I would add to that, which was also like something that got pointed out during the course of my sub eyes that I didn't think was that noticeable or that big of a deal is there's both being helpful, especially during the case. And there's also getting in the way. So it's hard because sometimes you're like, Oh, I want to help. I want to show that I'm interested. I want to like, you know, get the lap pad and, you know, use the suction. Don't get so honed in on that, that you lose track of the bigger picture. And so sometimes, you know, we've all been there. We've all like, you know, gotten distracted. We're holding the suction. We're like suddenly like in the middle of the operative field. And you're like, okay, great. Like no one can see what they're doing. Cause I have put the suction in the middle of the operative field. And you're like trying to be helpful, but sometimes less is more. And so I think it's a balance, right? You want to be like paying attention to what's going on in the case, you know, switching out. If you can grab the little lap pad that's like covered in blood and like switched out with a dry one, then all of a sudden the attending's like, oh, where did this magical dry lap pad go? They may not even notice that you did it, but they kind of actually do notice those things. And, but they also really notice if you like go reach over to get the lap pad and you're suddenly in their way. So the art of sort of being helpful and moving things along, but not um, being obstructive, which is hard because you're in a really difficult position. You're probably behind like one or two people. You want to be involved. You want to see what's going on, but sort of finding the balance of doing a little and not doing too much. And people really do notice that. Um, someone actually made a comment in like a, a piece of feedback that got circulated around for me in my application that was retracts well without getting in the way, has great like situational awareness. So I think that situational awareness also plays a big role in the operating room, which is why people are paying attention to it. And one, one more thing I, I wanted to add about you know, how to get into the flow and how to be helpful like on the floor. The biggest thing is being around and being, being interested, kind of like we alluded to. But I'm just thinking back to students that I've worked with this year and the things that I try to do as a student. And, you know, if, if a student gets there five minutes before rounds, it's hard for me as an intern while I'm trying to prep the list to say, oh, hey, like, this is what it's usually helpful for the students to do. If you run and do this, do that. I don't really have time to go through it because we're trying to, we're all trying to get ready for rounds. But if you're there early, I've had times where I've been able to sit down and kind of like talk through what I do every morning with, uh, you know, as an intern, I can talk through what, what's helpful as students that I've done in the past. So if we have the time to explain to you those things because you're there early, it's much easier on you. It's much easier on us. And I think that sets you up for success later on in the rotation. Yeah. And if you're early and then Nick's like, oh man, so something's happening or, you know, there's a nurse pages him about something and you're there and you're available. Like you can be helpful for him and he knows he can rely on you and like different places do their list differently. So people will just have to teach you what they want on the list, how to make their list, how to do their list if they want you to do their list. I don't know. Some interns will say, I actually like doing a list because I need to 
I need to retain that information and I don't learn it as well unless I'm writing it down. And that's fine, but you can often, you know, offer to make sure the bag is stocked. You know, you could go around and take down some dressings for rounds so things go smoother and that kind of stuff, but like stuff that you've, you know, suggested and someone's been like, yeah, that's a good idea. Something you said, Lily, about making sure it's okay to go see the patient beforehand. So on my surgery rotation, I was taught like always go see the patient, but in plastics, and I've noticed here at NYU, that's very different. How I, I know aesthetic patients, it's usually like, you shouldn't go see them. How do you navigate that? I don't want to be annoying by being like, can I go see the patient? I think it depends. I think it's always better to ask. And then you'll kind of get a, a sense of what the situation is. Sometimes ideally you might be going to meet the patient with the resident, but most patients in the hospital, most reconstructive patients, especially people that are coming to a teaching institution know there's going to be medical students and residents. And I think it can be comforting to a patient if you can be like a support person for them or an advocate for them, or just to say, you're here to help and introduce yourself. And yeah, I would just kind of ask in the beginning of your rotation, if you're going somewhere new and you're not sure, Hey, is it okay if I introduce myself to the patient? Cause I've definitely had faculty members not let residents be in the room if they hadn't met the patient beforehand, not that common, but that does exist. So I would just ask if you're not sure, or if you're in a new location. I had, I had the exact same experience on my general surgery rotation versus plastic surgery. It was like Lily said, it was like, if you have not met the patient, you are not coming into this operation in, in some general surgery settings. And then it was different on plastics. And I, I don't know, as, as an intern, I would say if any student ever asked me, Hey, you know, does, does Dr. So-and-so uh, expect us or want us to meet the patient before? I would totally, you know, that I would never be annoyed by that or anything. I think that's a very reasonable question because like you said, different kind of different preferences. For students, at least on our service, I expect them to round on patients that they've operated on, to have seen them, to have examined them. You're a medical student. I'm still learning and I'm a six, you know, in my sixth year of residency. So you might not get the exam hundred percent correct, or you might not be able to give me a full plan. That's totally what we're going to do, but that doesn't mean you can't say I examine the flap and, you know, you're going to give your small like soap presentation and you can listen with the Doppler. If we're, if we're monitoring with the Doppler, listen with the Doppler and tell me what you think. If we're monitoring a flap, look at it and tell me what you think. I think it's kind of silly if a patient or if a student tells me, oh, I rounded on so-and-so this morning, but I didn't take, I didn't not take off their surgical dressing, but I didn't, you know, I didn't open the binder to look at the surgical site, or I didn't listen with the Doppler. I mean, sure. If you can't figure out how, then like, that's a great thing to be like, Hey, I really wanted to do this. Could you, I wanted to learn how to do it with you guys. We do it on rounds and then I can do it from there. That's different than you not making a full assessment. A good good time to, to learn or to find out what, what you should be looking for the next day on rounds is after the case. I think if there's some downtime and you're waiting for PACU, I always try to talk to students about that and say, Hey, so when you see this patient tomorrow, these are the things we'd be concerned about. This is how I would examine the patient. If there are differing monitoring devices we're using like Dopplers or Vioptics, um, I kind of explain a little bit about that. Sometimes we can't get into all the, the details of it, but asking your resident then uh, what they're looking for is a good way to hone in your exam the next day. I 100% agree. When you're at the end of the case, if the, at that institution, they're using a way to monitor flap or certain surgery, and you're not familiar with it, just ask, be like, oh, hey, do you mind explaining to me how this works? Or what are, you know, what are we using this for? I want to be able to make it a, you know, just to understand what, what we're doing. And, and so that way I can examine the patient 
sort of the best way. And like, I love what Nick said, like whenever I have time and think about it and I'm able to, I love talking about that with our students at the end of the case. Okay. When you see this patient tomorrow, what are you going to be looking for? What are you going to be concerned about? What's going to be our general plan? I think the one thing I would add to that, I couldn't agree more is it, just is a skill that's really relevant. It's not just about you guys showing us that you're interested or, you know, nailing your presentation the next day, which we obviously hope that you do. But those are things that Nick and I are doing literally every day. We're going to these new services as interns. And though it's helpful to have medical students, like if the medical students aren't there, this is stuff we're all doing ourselves every day. It's a great experience that you guys get to practice a little bit. And so I would try to like always think about, you know, okay, next year I'm going to be the intern. What does that mean? You know, what are these things that I need to be looking out for? Because for us, it's like, oh, what do we need to be aware of on the post-op check? And it's no longer this low stakes. Oh, I'll mention it to the resident in my presentation the next day. It's like, do I have to call the attending because I'm concerned? Or do I have to bring my senior in overnight because I'm concerned about this? So the more reps you get seeing things um, in like a low stakes setting and you can ask questions and sort of be wrong the easier it is when you're seeing a patient and you're like, oh, suddenly I don't think everything is okay. And I actually would like someone to come and evaluate this patient because I'm concerned that something doesn't look right or the monitor is off or you know the Doppler doesn't sound the same. So those are all things that are both helpful to us and like great for showing interest, but also really play out in, in reality as an intern. Something that I would definitely recommend you guys get as much of as possible is when complications are happening. I have a distinct memory of being a sub I when we took a flat back and being in the OR with Lily and her, you know, having some time, she was not the like primary person, you know, operating at that time, taking us through everything from what are you concerned about when you see a flap? What does the take back look like? What are the steps? Like what's plan A, B, and C? And I got literally in an interview once sort of going through things like related to complications of a case, right? Because people want to see what you're thinking about. They want to see that you've like paid attention because those things matter. And it just so happened that we had gone through this exact scenario and mm-hmm. I got all the way to the end and Lily had taken me all the way to the end, which was not only great for like an ego boost, but also like showed them that I was paying attention to the complications that can happen. And you're ready to sort of think about, you know, what are the next steps? And that's just, you know, giving you a foundation for the rest of residency, right? Cause that's what, that's what the learning and training is all about. Okay. I have some random topics, but feel free to stop me if you guys have questions. All right. One is, I guess we'll start with this one. So one is introducing yourself in the OR. You guys probably know this, but just to make sure we've said it, sometimes the people that you work with in the hospital get a little bit annoyed with students because you're somebody who they don't see a lot of the benefit from working with and you're there and maybe you give them more work because they have to like, I don't know, document that you're there, but you could get in the way and you could contaminate something and whatever it is. So I think everyone loves students that come into the OR, introduce themselves to everyone in the room, namely the circulator and the scrub um, tech or nurse, write your name on the board, write that you're an MS4 or whatever, however you're going to refer to yourself, get your gloves, get your gown, offer to open it, make sure they're okay with you opening it. Some people would rather have the circulator open your stuff until they get to know you and know that you're not going to contaminate the field. We also talked about when it's okay to scrub. I think, so for me, I would say scrub when the resident goes to scrub, the resident wants you to help position the patient while they're prepping. So sometimes if you're prepping out like an extremity or something, you know, they might want someone who either just has gloves on or who 
has, you know, is not sterile to help hold or retract in a certain way. So that situation would probably be a little more obvious. You can always ask like, Hey, do you want me to come scrub with you? Sure. That's fine. That doesn't really bother me. If I'm a resident and I'm going to scrub and I'm going to prep different institutions. Okay. So our institution, most people scrub, then they come in, then they prep, then they drape. Some institutions just open sterile prep gloves without scrubbing. They just put the gloves on. Then they, then they prep while the prep is drying, they go scrub and they come back in and drape. Other institutions, the OR scrub does the prepping. You go out and scrub or they do the yeah prep. You go scrub, then you come in and drape or they've already draped for you. So it's like institutional. So you have to get a flow for wherever you are. But I think generally that's pretty reasonable. Sometimes the resident might say like, oh, it's going to take me a little while to prep and start to drape. So you don't have to scrub with me immediately when I'm scrubbing. You could take a minute if you needed to and then scrub. But it's also okay to ask. But that would be like my general assessment of that. The second one is everybody has something to teach you. So you guys might not really experience it this year because of COVID. It's going to be a little bit different. But sometimes there's this crossover in July where the sub eyes have been sub eyes for a while and they are like on their game, know a lot. And the interns come in and they've been on fourth year medical school and they haven't been doing that much and they are not quite yet on their game. And you as a sub eye, like feel like you're more with it and know what's happening than the interns. Okay. You always want to like play up to the expertise or to the level above you. So you never want to make the interns feel threatened by you. Like you want to just try to do stuff to support them. But this also goes to say, everyone has something to teach you. So a nurse in the OR, a PA, a, you know, a receptionist, a phlebotomist, a this, a that, like every member of the team has something to teach you. So just be accepting of that knowledge from everybody and try to have good working relationships with everyone. People will see sub eyes that treat the residents and treat the attendings a certain way, but treat second year med students differently, treat the OR staff differently, treat the admin when they call to make a follow-up appointment differently. Oh, that's a something to add to the other list of things you guys can be helpful with, which is calling to make follow-up appointments at the end of the case. Just treat everybody with respect and be kind to everybody and patient, even when you're under stress. Just know that you're stressed and, and it's uncomfortable for other people if you start getting angry about stuff. I would say it's one, one place that this came up for me after like a few sub eyes or after you've done your surgery rotation, you feel like you've got a lot of experience in the OR, you know how to scrub, you know how to not contaminate things. Sometimes, you know, scrub techs, you know, won't give you the benefit of the doubt with that because like Lily said, you know, you're a student, they've had students before that have contaminated the entire table and they had to redo the whole thing. So they may, you know, be a little more pushy with you. I think regardless, you know, you kind of just have to swallow your pride and say, you know, yes, ma'am, sure. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I you know, down the wrong way or something and just, you know, kind of nod and smile through it. I think, you know, even as an intern, just kind of treating everyone with, with that, giving people the benefit of the doubt not getting angry and, you know, not losing control of your ego in those situations, like pays dividends in the long run. And people notice that. Honestly, if then we see like a student getting upset about these types of things, sometimes it just makes everyone feel uncomfortable. So Nick is really good at this. I've had the I've been really lucky to get to work with him three months out of this year. And like, he is awesome at that. And just like, like kill with kindness. We've all been there. We have all been bullied by scrubs. We have all seen scrubs bully students in a good scenario after the case that your resident or faculty member might be like, yeah, I'm sorry. So-and-so does that. We know they do that. Like just, we don't know what else to do. Just roll with it. 
maybe in a great scenario, someone sticks up for you in the OR and is like, I don't think this is okay. You can't treat my student like this, but I don't know if that always happens and that I don't know that we have control over it, but just know that it happens. It happens all the time. Just let it roll. That's not something that's going to, it's not going to help you to fight it. I think I would also add tying back again, this happens all the time during intern year two. So it's just like working on a skill that you will then reflexively use over and over again. We'll get called by people who are upset about something that we had no control over, something we didn't contribute to at all. People will be upset. And like your job often in uh, is coming into situations that you do not cause, but where people are very emotional and people are very stressed and not necessarily for you know, bad reason. They're stressed about the patient. They're stressed about getting their job done. You know, they have their pressures from their side. Um, and often it really pays to just be like, okay. And like, take a deep breath. And like, you might be stressed. You might be upset. You might feel like people are blaming you, but just to be able to say, okay, um, I understand that you're upset or I understand that this is really frustrating. Like, let's see what we can do. And, and, and that takes practice. That's like a really hard thing to do to emotionally regulate yourself when you're tired and someone like is blaming you for something you didn't do, but being able to not be like, well, I didn't do that. It's not my fault. You know, this isn't my problem, but to rather be able to say like, oh, okay, well, like, let's figure out a way around this really pays off during intern year. And I presume for the rest of residency, but it's something that I think, you know, starts during times like these where things are not always going according to plan, or you might not feel like they're fair, but being able to sort of bear through it and, and keep it, keep it cool. Yeah. And kind of like when stuff happens and you're getting blamed for something that you didn't do, it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's best. I think it seems to work out the best for people. I don't know if this is truly the best scenario, but it seems to work out the best for people when you can just let it ride and not say, Oh, well, I didn't do that. So-and-so did that. Or, Oh, that wasn't me. That was the intern that did that because it kind of throws that person under the bus a little bit. And then they're going to get really upset with you. And I don't know. It's like such a tough situation. Cause you're like, what? I didn't do that. I'm getting blamed for it. I'm getting judged for it. What if I'm not going to match here? Cause people like think I did such and such. And I didn't like, if it's that big of a deal, then talk to someone separately and be like, Hey, just wanted to let you know that wasn't me. But in general, if you, if it's something small and you can just let it slide, just let it roll. Two other things that I had is one ask for feedback and be okay with getting negative feedback. Most people won't give you negative feedback, even if there's stuff you're doing that could be improved upon. Like generally people that makes them uncomfortable to give you negative feedback. It forces them to go out on the line for themselves and kind of put themselves out there. And most people, as long as you're doing generally pretty well, will actually just only tell you, oh, you're doing great. Not a problem. Things are going well, whatever. So if someone does take it in themselves to give you some real feedback, be really appreciative of it. Don't fight it. Don't give excuses. Don't push back. Just say, I'm really thankful that you were willing to give me some honest advice. Then take it home. Think about it. If it really bothers you or if you're, if you're, if it doesn't sit right with what you think is happening, then it's totally reasonable to go back and have another conversation with that person about it, but just be like, Hey, I've been thinking a lot about it. Do you think we can, you know, revisit this? I just want to get some more thoughts and insights. And then you can have another conversation once you kind of like let it settle with you. But I think at the end of the rotation and maybe midway through, it's totally reasonable to ask the chief that you're working with. And then, you know, maybe if there's another resident that you've worked with a bunch, it's reasonable to be like, Hey, is there anything I can be doing better? You know, you ask the intern, like, Hey, what can I be doing better for you? Like, how can I get more out of the lot? You know, how can I be helpful for the last you know, two weeks of our rotation or something like that? I would also add just briefly, I think it's helpful to help other people frame their feedback to you. Um, so if you are kind of 
doing things week by week or every two weeks or whatever, come up with an interval for yourself. And I, I think it's easier to talk to like a lower kind of resident that's closer in age to you. So like for me as like an oncoming intern, I often would talk to like the two and, and I would sort of offer them something that I was going to work on and see what they would give back to me. So I'd be like, well, you know, I think this went really well next week. I'm really trying to focus or this month, I'm really trying to focus on X, Y, Z thing. And they can be like, oh, that's great. Here are things that you can do to do, to do better at that thing. And it's not necessarily personally, they don't feel like it's like personally directed towards you. Right. But they're still giving you feedback of things that you like weren't doing that you could do better. So, and I've used that throughout intern year to say, oh, this month, my goal is to work on X, Y, Z thing. And then people are like, oh yeah, I noticed you did this last last month but this month you can do the next three steps or you can add this to your rotation or you could be better at doing this and so that way they don't feel like they have to organically come up with negative feedback for you but you can gather their like expertise and their help to to further your um, progress yeah I think if you just always think that like I'm kind of a guest in this space this isn't the space that I own this is not I'm here just for a month and then I'm leaving. So I can't really like, I'm here to learn. I'm here to experience what this program has to offer. I'm here to understand what their culture is. I'm here to, to get a sense of if I would be happy here, but I'm not really, this isn't my space to, to dictate and to control. The last comment I was going to make, and then we can talk about other things. If you guys have other questions is that, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but just kind of remember that residents aren't really your friends. So that doesn't have to be true for like someone that you have a close mentorship relationship with that's outside of the clinical setting. That person can be your friend. That's fine. But when you're on a team and people, especially when the residents are really close with each other and people are really jovial and they're joking around and, and, and friendly, just remember that you want to maintain a general sense of professionalism, even if the people around you aren't. If the residents are poking fun at each other and they're making jokes, like you can laugh, but I wouldn't make your own jokes making fun of the residents because that sometimes has a tendency to irritate people when people they don't know and are kind of in their space are getting a little too comfortable. I would just kind of keep that in the back of your head. Something someone once told me about somebody is a term that you just friendly, but not familiar. Yeah, but I'm also happy to be friends with you guys. I'm not like your <laughs> clinical person on your team, so we could be friends, but just remember <laughs> that when you're in the clinical setting. Do you guys have questions lingering? One thing that I was going to ask about is approaching skills. So whether that's offering to put in a Foley or offering to take out some sutures or start the dressing change. So if you've never worked with a resident before, I know some people prefer to see the medical student do it the first time, just so that they know that you know what you're doing you're not going to make mess it up terribly and then you can do it by yourself other people prefer if you just kind of ask can I do this and then go do it so how would you recommend approaching that when you've never worked with someone before I think asking is totally fine in a way that I think if you some of it's going to be like the comfort of that resident with the task so and what they're consequences if it's messed up. So if you ask Tori, you know, could I do, would, you know, oh, so, you know, I know, I noticed some rounds I wrote down that our chief said to, that we needed to take out the sutures on Miss so-and-so today, would you like me to go do that? And she may have done stuff with you before and know that you're quite capable. And she's like, great, that's awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. If she was smart, she would say, sounds great. Thanks for doing that. She She'd talk it through. Hey, let's just talk through, make sure, you know, like, are we going to put a dressing on afterwards? Are you going to put stereo strips on? Are you going to do whatever? 
sometimes people like in other specialties, I know like in gen search, sometimes they do like every other staple or every other suture. We don't really do that, at least for us at our institution at Duke that much, but okay. After you told her she did it, you did it. She might just meander by, just go in, check on the patient, just take a look, make sure it was done correctly, make sure everything happens. So she's good because she might know that her chief might be meandering by at some point or rounding <laughs> the next day. And then she would pick up on this, right? But if this was a task that she thought there was either a high likelihood that you were going to mess up or could mess up or might mess up, or if it did get messed up, she would have no recourse. Then she might like want to watch you do one for the first time. But if it's a more senior level person who's, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. That's great. Wonderful. Go for it. Like, or it's something I know I can fix if it gets messed up, then it's probably different. But I think to say, Hey, um, you know, I know we're supposed to do that. Do you want me to go take care of it? That's fine. And then they might say like, Oh, I'll come with you or have you done this before? Or sure. Sounds good. I think it's also totally fine to be like, Oh, I'd love to help out and do X, Y, Z thing. I've never done this on my own before. Would you mind like walking me through it the first time? That's totally fine. I have, I try to do that for a lot of the second year med students. Like I'll be like, Oh, have you ever done this before? Like, let's go through it now. So that in the future they feel comfortable and they know what to do, but that's not going to be the case for everything you know, every task that we have, you know, sometimes we're pulling drains, all this stuff, every drain is different. So like Lily said, you know, going through the steps, making sure you clarify important points, hopefully the resident will do that with you, but also it's totally okay to always say, oh, I've never done this before. Cause the last thing we want is for you to say, oh yeah, I'm happy to do it and then go do it and never have told us that you've never done it before. And then, you know, something gets messed up and that's not because you weren't trying to be helpful. It's just like, you don't know everything because you're still learning. And the other thing that I got in the habit of doing is I always took pictures so when I changed a wound back or I took staples out or I took sutures out or something, you know, not necessarily for a drain, but something where people are going to be keeping track of this wound and like a new dressing might go on after. I think it's always good in life and in general, but especially in those times to take a picture. And that way you can send a picture to your intern, to your senior and say like, Hey, staples are out on so-and-so this is what the wound looks like. And that way you've also done them a great favor. In your HIPAA compliant form of sending your pho- photographs at your given institution just talk a little bit about presentations. Um, I feel like people want different things and different lengths. And sometimes I'm just in my head while I'm presenting, wondering if this is correct. I think most places are different. I like it when a student can present in like 30 seconds. I don't know. Sometimes we don't have a lot of time. I try to remember like if we're walking in different areas of the hospital, even if we're not going to see your patient next, I try to say like, okay, let's go. Why don't you tell me about your patient? So that way you have time to talk. I think you can ask the interns to go over your presentations with you. Hey, um, you know, you finished your case or you're helping the intern on the floor. Like, Hey, do you think I can just give you a practice presentation? How is this going? You can ask your, your chief for feedback afterwards. I think that's fine. I like it when someone's like, this is 42 year old female. She's post-op day, you know, two status was a deep flap. These are the main things. This is my, you know, going through like your physical exam labs and things like that. This is my plan for her for the day. And so, something that I've noticed that in students that have done this really well is, at least on our service, a lot of our plans, as long as things are going well, are not like these novel things that we make up on the fly. So if you have kind of our standard plan for this type of patient, this hernia patient, this deep flat patient, and you know what post-up day two is, that shows that you've like either asked someone or read about it. So I think you can ask someone hey, uh, you know, I heard you guys talk about this proposal day two. Is this the plan for this patient? Or can you tell me a little more what the plan for this patient is today before rounds? And then on rounds, you look like a rock star and you, you kind of know what's going on and people will notice that. One question I had is oftentimes I've found that there's a certain role or like a, a certain per- 
person in the like hierarchy, that's like a go-to if you have questions on service. Who do you like recommend? What what kind of figures should we look for if we're we're trying to find that person that can give us the ins and outs of a particular institution? I think you can just kind of play it by ear. Sometimes that's a chief. Sometimes that's like a mid-level resident. Sometimes it's the intern. I think you can see who you connect with. And also for myself, for my teams, I know there's one resident on my team that doesn't have a lot of other responsibilities besides their cases. They don't have consult responsibilities typically. They, they're not like, mono, you know, so whatever. So I can say like, okay, that resident should be the one that's going to do a lot of extra teaching and liaisoning with students, but that's not always like as structured that way. So, okay. My question is, if you're in an OR and the attending is not pimping you, doesn't even look at you, what do you do? And how then are you supposed to make yourself look intelligent or be intelligent? I think you have to read the situation. I think some faculty members don't like to talk a lot while they operate. I think be more patient. And I think it's okay to be a little bit more quiet in certain scenarios. Like you might have the opportunity to work with that, that faculty member, like in the clinic or something and talk to them there. I also think if you're not feeling super comfortable in a given situation, asking a a question outright, you can always say like, is now an okay time to ask a question? And people will be very, very forward with you. They will be like, no, you know, if they're very like focused, they'll be like, no, like let's hold off. And then they might circle back with you after the case, or you could, you could wait until sort of things are wrapping up and say like, Hey, I had a quick question about this part of the case. Um, would you mind walking me through like what was going on here? I got a little lost because that way, like they know you're paying attention. They know you're trying to like be courteous of, you know, their focus. Um, and if you're not feeling like super open to, to asking a question, you can ask if it's a good time or if they're like open to you asking a question and they might say no. And then you might circle back with your resident after, but at least they know you were interested, you were trying to ask questions, um, but you didn't like be like, hey, why'd you decide to do this case? Um, You know, right when the attending's like, this is the last thing I want to talk about. Well, this was awesome. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. All right. Have a good weekend. Appreciate it, everyone. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.